last week with Easter, and so we are going to start a brand new book. So if you would open to 1 Timothy chapter 1. This title of this message is False Teachers, False Teachers, but first let's pray. Father, you are so good. You're amazing, and I just want to thank you for being so, just so loving and kind and patient with us. Um, It seems like uh, we might not do the things that we know we're supposed to do always, but you just continue to help us along and Lord, you convict us when we're wrong and you draw us to repentance and you set us back on a pleasing path just following you and you give us opportunities to be used by you and you're just so, you're just so amazing. And so Lord, I just want to say on behalf of all of us, thank you. Thank you that you just uh, stay after us and that you love us and and that you won't let us go astray, that you'll bring us back to you. And and just just amazing, Father. You are the the good shepherd. And so, Father, we just ask that uh, you would bless our time together as we study your word, that you would help us to understand it. And, Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, Father, I pray that today they would be convinced that Jesus loves them, that Jesus died on a cross for them, that he rose again from the dead and now offers them forgiveness for all of their sins. And so, Lord, I pray that they would ask for forgiveness and, Lord, that you would fill them with the Holy Spirit so they can understand spiritual things. Lord, we love you, we thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. So 1 Peter chapter 1, here we go. It is written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Now, Timothy is in Ephesus, so he's at the church at Ephesus, and Paul is in a place called Macedonia. And so Paul loves Timothy. He calls him his son, basically not his son by blood, but his spiritual son. And so Paul is like Timothy's spiritual dad. And so maybe some of you can identify with that. Someone has been in your life like a spiritual dad. They might have actually even led you to Christ. And they've loved and they've served you. And they've continued to take care of you spiritually. And so that's this relationship between the Apostle Paul and Timothy. So Timothy is a leader in this church at Ephesus. Um, There's speculation. We're not exactly sure how... Timothy received Christ as Lord and Savior, but perhaps, maybe, if we kind of look at it, Paul led Timothy to a saving relationship in Christ. But nonetheless, Timothy is a believer. He's a leader in the church at Ephesus, and Paul is an apostle by the will of Jesus Christ. And so what is happening is that Paul has concerns for the church at Ephesus, and so he's writing Timothy, the leader of that church, Um, how to deal with some of these concerns. Now, the beautiful thing about this book is that as we learn about what Paul is saying, we have to remember that God has 
used Paul to pen this letter. So it's Paul's personality, but every word that has been chosen in the original text was exactly what God wanted to be said. And so we can learn this and apply it to our lives. So God used the Apostle Paul to pen a letter to Timothy at the church at Ephesus. So what is our takeaway for this? Well, we're the church at Russellville, Russellville, Missouri. Here we are. The saints are gathered together. And so as we watch one church leader being used by God to write to another church leader about church matters, what we do is now we're going to jump into the book and say, okay, what was it that they were addressing and what was the counsel of the Lord on how to solve or resolve the issue or the problem. We're going to get into qualifications for elders or pastors. It's the same office. And for deacons. So there's just so much like here. So I'm excited that we're going to dig into this because it's going to apply directly to us. So like when we went through the book of John, it was amazing because we saw we got close to Jesus. And there was all this wisdom that Jesus was telling us and so now we got to look at this is okay now God is using someone else by the power of the Holy Spirit for the edification of the church so the church at Ephesus was to be edified and now the church at Russellville is going to be edified as we go through this so we're going to start verse 1 of 1st Timothy chapter 1 Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they may confident assertions. Verse 8, now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Okay, so what is happening first is that Paul is telling Timothy, hey, there are false teachers amongst you. And one commentator was thinking that even some of the elders, maybe at this church at Ephesus, were those that were pushing the false doctrine. Now, there's some people that push false doctrine on accident. They really don't know. And just to kind of humble us all, I won't actually ask you to raise your hand, but some of us have accidentally 
pushed false doctrine or heresy when we're trying to explain things to our kids. Let me give you an example. Don't raise your hand if you've done this. But if you're trying to explain the Trinity to your kids and you say, let's say that you were teaching Sunday school years ago at a different church, and you were saying, kids, the Trinity is like, well, it's kind of like water. You know, it can be frozen, okay? It can be like a mist, and it can be a liquid. That's, that's kind of like the Trinity. Actually, that's a heresy, and it's called modalism. And so that is not anything like the Trinity, because it's all the same thing. We know that the Trinity is three distinct persons. And so some people are accidentally teaching heresy. And if we find someone like that, man, we just want to lovingly, you know, bring them over and say, you know, I understand what you're trying to do. I'm, I'm, I'm so happy that you're here. But you know what? Let me, let me show you a better way. So we got to be gentle, gentle, gentle with people. Now, there's other people that know they're teaching heresy, but they're wanting to draw them to themselves for whatever reason, and they know exactly what they're doing. So in this church, there are men that are teaching heresy. So we're going to break it down. First, let's start back at verse 1 through 2, looking at Paul. So Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing is that there are no more apostles today the way that Paul is an apostle. That is something that has ended, okay? So God used men to proclaim his word, and it was scripture. There is no more apostles today. There's actually a movement going on, and... Uh, they, people are trying to say that they're apostles. Well, you can start to look at the criteria of the apostles, and they don't meet those criteria. One of them is to see the risen Christ, the risen Savior. And you say, well, wait a minute, when did Paul see that? Well, remember on the road to Emmaus where he, was, uh, he, he, he saw the risen Savior. And it says here, an apostle of Jesus Christ by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. So, if you start to talk to someone um, and they start to say, yeah, you know, my apostle, and they start to talk about this person that they're following, they might be tricked. And so you want to lovingly come alongside them, and then we're going to show them, you know what, there are no more apostles today. Because what will happen is that if an apostle, if a guy says that he's an apostle today, he's going to start to say, Whatever, he'll, he'll say something and it says, this is from the Lord, and now it is, it is just the same on par as the Bible. And that, my friend, is a heresy. That's a lie. Look at verse 2. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God and, and the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 3. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine nor devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. So here's what's happening is that these men, we don't exactly know what this myths or endless genealogies was, but it was a false doctrine. So think about this. You would have men in the church at Russellville that are starting to push some new doctrine, something different. 
what happens is there's a thing called uh, higher, uh, see, higher critical theory. And what they do is they're pulling down, they're looking at the ways or things of the Bible, and they start to want to tear them apart. They're going to tear them down. And so they introduce speculation. And so that's what is happening here is that they're introducing these myths and endless genealogies. And look what it promotes, speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Look at verse 5. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So, Paul saying here is, what we are trying to do is we're going to love. Ours is pure of a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And so, my heart is this. Saying, when I get up here, my hope is this. Now, I'm just a man. But my hope is that I'm able to deliver God's word to you as purely as I can. And so that's why we end up reading a lot of scripture. Because I know if I can get you just a lot of scripture and the Lord, the Holy Spirit within you will start to apply that to your life. I'm getting you God's pure word. I want to stay out of the way as much as I can. So we read scripture after scripture after scripture. And to back up a point, we want to bring up another scripture. It's all about God's word. All about God's word. Look at verse 6. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law, without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Okay, so one of the things about the law, we're not exactly sure if he's referring back to the Mosaic law or just the law in general, okay? But let's look at some of the law that God has given. So turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. So we're looking at some of the Ten Commandments. Now the reason why this is important is because we need to know what we've been saved from. We need to be able to understand why the law was given. So Exodus chapter 20 starting in verse 3. The Bible says this, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the Father's on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So God is setting out saying, hey, this is how it is to be. You're only supposed to worship the one true God. You're not supposed to worship 
carved images. Look at verse 12. It says that we're supposed to honor our father and our mother, that your days may be long and in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. So, in the Old Testament, sometimes we as Christians just stay in the New Testament. And I'm guilty of that when it comes to teaching just because there's so much there for us in the New Testament that it's hard to pause and then go back to the Old Testament and test and go through a book. Even though we did go through the book of Genesis on Sunday night. That was a lot of fun. But here's the thing. Is that the law was given for one specific purpose. One specific purpose. It's to show us God's standard. Because here's the thing. Over here on Route C. Am I pointing the right way? Right here. Over here on Route C, how fast are you able to go through our little town? Someone tell me. I haven't heard the right answer yet. 35. Yeah, 35. Now, that is a law. If you got pulled over by a police officer and there was no speed limit, he would not have any case against you because there's no law telling us that you can only go a certain miles per hour. So if you got pulled over and he says, uh, do you know how fast you were going? You're like, I was going 130. And he says, okay, that was pretty cool. I'll see you later. No, he wouldn't do that. There would still be like, you know what? No, you, don't you know it's not safe to go that fast? There's kids here. And so what happens? A community comes together and they put up a speed limit a law. You cannot go over 35 miles an hour. So now if someone comes through our town and they're going 41 miles an hour, if they get pulled over, the police officer can say this. There is a law on the books and it says you can only go 35 miles an hour. You have gone over that, which means you have broken the law. Now you have to pay the penalty for breaking the law, which is usually a financial fine, and then your insurance goes up, which is even more money, okay? So you look at the Old Testament, and God has given us law after law after law, showing us that these are God's perfect standards. Now, here's the thing. Here are two different directions that false teachers take the law. You guys ready? One is they use the law to obtain salvation. They say, you know what? If I can keep the law, then I can be pleasing to God, and therefore I will go to heaven when I die because I have attained righteousness through keeping the law. And if you look at the Pharisees in the New Testament, they were all about keeping the law. Remember Jesus when he would heal someone on the Sabbath? Because that was one of the Ten Commandments is that we're to keep the Sabbath holy. 
and he would heal someone on the Sabbath, and they would say, wait a minute, you're breaking the law. And Jesus said, listen, the Sabbath, I am Lord of the Sabbath. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. And just as a little side note, if someone wondered why we still don't keep the Sabbath, because the Sabbath would have been yesterday, we don't keep the Sabbath because Jesus Christ has a new covenant, and now he is our Sabbath. He is our rest. We rest in Christ. It's a new covenant written in his blood. And as we come to Christ, we now find full rest in Christ. But here's the thing. There is a movement of people that say, if you don't keep the Sabbath, it is a really, really bad thing. And I read something. I was doing some studying. And one was, if you don't keep the Sabbath, it's like a sign that you're from Satan. I mean, it is like they're really, really focused on this. And, man, you talk about twisting Scripture like crazy. And, um, and so if someone knocks on your door and they start getting you to want to keep the Sabbath and start to keep the old laws, you've got to say, time out. Time out. So what you're saying is that if I keep these laws, I'll be right with God? And their ultimate answer is yes. And guess what, saints? That's called works righteousness. And the Bible says that we, can, we cannot work into a pleasing position with Christ. It just doesn't happen. The law was given so that we will know we need a Savior, not to obtain salvation. Now, the other thing what happens is that people say, Rusty, don't you know we are no longer under the law, but we are under grace. So, therefore, I could do whatever I want. And so these people, they are totally not worried about keeping the law. They're not worried about keeping any of God's commandments because they're saying, hey, listen, I am under grace. And so, therefore, I can kind of do whatever I want to do. Those are the two big misconceptions. Look at verse 7. Desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Verse 8. Now, we know that the law is good. So, Paul wants to make sure everyone knows he's not saying the law is bad. So these people that are trying to teach the law and get people to go back into the law, he's not saying that they're bad. He's saying that it's good if if one uses it lawfully. Verse 9, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless. And then it goes through multiple sins that the law is to expose. So just remember, what is happening in this church at Ephesus is this, is that false teachers are already in the church, and they're trying to bring people under the law. They're trying to get them to go back. Now, as we kind of wrap this up, understand that this is that there are still people today that are trying to get you to go back to be under the bondage of keeping the law. Now, here's where it gets tricky. Because you've heard me say up here multiple times, Rusty, I thought you said that we're supposed to have works. Isn't that a form of works righteousness? 
Rusty, you said that we should be changed and that we should be doing things. It is. It could be a little bit confusing, so let me make it super clear. Here's what happens. Is that God's law in the Old Testament is given. It shows us the perfect standard. It brings us to our knees, and then we say, I cannot meet that standard. I just can't do it. God says this. That is exactly what its intention was. And then Jesus Christ dies on the cross for our sins, paying the penalty for what we deserve, and then says this. If you admit that you were wrong and you've broken my laws, and you ask me to forgive you, I will forgive you. And so what we do is we say, Lord, I admit it, and we're forgiven. And then what the Bible guarantees is that once that happens, that by faith you have received Christ, it was absolute grace, it is a gift, then you will have works in your life. So understand this, that works don't produce salvation. Works are a proof of salvation. And so if you have works in your life and you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and you think, okay, that is very encouraging to me because it just proves to me that I actually am saved. I'm actually in the family of God. The scary thing is, is that when people have grown up in the church, they believe that Jesus is Christ, but they don't have works. Because what's happened, like we saw last week, is that they have a belief that hasn't led to a new life. And if you have a belief that hasn't led to a new life, the Bible says that you're deceived. That you're deceived. And my, my hope is that everyone in here isn't deceived. Some of you have tons of works. Some of you, I just, I don't know. Because I don't see anything. And as a pastor, I care for you. And I'm thinking, man, I, I'm just going to keep preaching, Lord. And I hope, I hope that something changes. It's not something that I can do. I just have to continue to give you God's word. And I have to just pray, Lord, I pray that you would change that person. And that there would be a works that would show that there is salvation in that person's life. Here's what's happening in our society as we wrap this up. Here's what's happening. Is that the gospel that's being preached is this. Come to Jesus and he'll save you. He'll make your life better. But here's the thing, saint. There is no good news if there's no bad news. And we are also susceptible to leave out the bad news, to leave out the law. The Bible lists all of these sins. Let's look at those, starting in verse 9. Understanding this, the law is laid down for the for the, the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God 
with which I have been entrusted. So, here's the thing, Saint. When you are trying to lead someone to Christ, you can't leave out the standard that God has listed, which is the law. The Bible says this. Here's the standard that if you've sinned one time, you're guilty. It's not graded on a curve. It's if you've sinned one time, you can't stand before a holy God. And so churches today are trying to pick and choose which sins they're going to talk about and which sins they're going to put in that back closet. But saying, God doesn't do that because God loves people. God loves people and he doesn't want them to be deceived. And I know that you love people and you don't want them to be deceived. And so what, what is our takeaway here as we close? Our takeaway is this. Is that if someone tries to get you to come back under the law by trying to say there are certain foods that you can't have. You can't actually get married. That's not a holy thing. We'll see that in the future. That you have to worship God on a specific day, which is the Sabbath. You have to understand is that that person is either knowingly or unknowingly trying to bring you back under a, a, a religion system of works righteousness. Now, if someone comes to you and says, you know what, you actually don't have to do anything. As long as you've prayed the prayer, you can kind of do whatever you want. Now, that person is deceived because the Bible says there's going to be people that stand before God that says, Lord, Lord, didn't we do these things in your name? Didn't we know you? And God will say, depart from me, you sinners, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. And so here's the thing, is that we, we don't want to be deceived by either one. We don't want to go back to the law trying to obtain salvation. But we don't want to just live our lives however we want and say, well, I grew up in the church. I can do whatever I want. Either one of them is leading you to be deceived. We want to be on the biblical path, which is this. It's by by faith in Christ, by believing that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he rose again on the third day, and we've given him our lives, we've agreed with him that we've sinned, and we put all of our faith in him, and then we produce works of righteousness. We're patient, we're kind, we're loving, we rejoice in the truth. Then there's evidence that we are his. And so if you don't have any evidence, listen, don't, don't be upset at me for saying that. Just say, well, wait a minute. If I don't have any evidence, we're talking about being in hell for all eternity. And I'm telling you, Saint, that is not something that you want to, 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 to leave this building without knowing. You know what? No, I am his. I might have backslidden, but I know that I'm his. And so before you leave, say, Lord, I pray that you would forgive me for what I did last night. And I pray that you would give me victory over that. So that tomorrow I can be that man or that woman that you've called me to be. And I can start to produce those works that prove that I am saved. Let's pray. Father, you're good and you're kind and you're patient. But Father, I also know that you give men and women and kids time to repent. And Lord, as, um, if there's no repentance... There's no salvation. And so, Lord, if there's anyone in here that hasn't repented, I pray that, Lord, that you would draw them to yourself as we sing this song. Lord, that they would feel 